Finding your way to a balanced way of living is the key to health and happiness. Each week on Choosing the Balanced Life with Diabetes, you'll hear tips and tools for a happier and healthier life. Here's your host, Anita Westlake. When planning our retirement or just turning 65, a lot of us wonder what are our options when it comes to medical coverage and how do we properly cover ourselves? People living with diabetes, this is a great concern. And there's a lot of, I think, anxiety around this when it comes to will we be accepted in a plan? Can we be denied? What kind of coverage are we able to get? And what is the cost involved in all of this? How do we properly prepare ourselves for retirement when living with a chronic disease like diabetes? Today, my guest is Danielle Kunkel. And she is Vice President of BoomerBenefits.com. And she's here to discuss that and take some of the anxiety out of making choices on the best coverage for our situation, how to prepare financially, knowing what our options are when it comes to our medical coverage and retirement. Thank you for joining me today, Danielle. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So we're going to talk about Medicare. Why is Medicare so confusing for so many people? I think that people find Medicare confusing because when you're under age 65, throughout your whole working life, people typically get insurance benefits through their employer. So you have an annual meeting, your company says, we've elected this insurance company to provide benefits. They may offer only one choice, or perhaps they offer you two or three choices within those group of benefits, but for the most part, you have very few choices to make on insurance when you are working, and then suddenly, you turn 65 and you're eligible for a national insurance program, which works completely differently than the type of insurance that you've had before, and you have the basic Medicare benefits in addition to literally hundreds of different insurance company plans and options for your supplemental insurance. So your mailbox fills up with all of these solicitations from insurance companies. And we find that a lot of our uh, clients, by the time they reach us, are so confused that they don't even know what mail they're getting is from Medicare and needs to be kept as opposed to what is a solicitation that they don't need or um, what things they do need to look at to round out their insurance. So it's, it's almost a problem of too many choices can be a not good thing. But you want to make sure you're you're covered properly. That's I think that's confusing in itself. You know, up until you get to the point of Medicare, you may not have had very many health issues. So right. it's making sure you get covered for the future. What could happen? Because that's what insurance is all about. It's not always about the here and now, but what could happen to you in the future. That's correct. And so there's a lot of anxiety about making sure that you find a plan that's adequate because you don't want to be going along and you're perfectly healthy for five or ten years and then suddenly a catastrophic illness hits and now you find out that the benefits that you thought you had work differently than what you expected. So that's why the whole initial enrollment process for Medicare can sometimes be so nerve-wracking for people when they first become eligible. And what is the basic coverage of Medicare? You said your basics plus, uh, I would imagine, add-ons. So what is basic? What does that entail? Okay. That's a great question. It gives us kind of the nitty-gritty that we can start with with Medicare. 
Medicare provides benefits the way that Blue Cross did way back in the 50s and 60s. You basically had Blue Cross and Blue Shield, and one of those is hospital benefits. One of those is outpatient benefits. And since Medicare was created around that same time in our history, it actually still has that same setup today. So Medicare offers you Part A, which is your hospital benefits, and Part B, which are your outpatient benefits. And a good way to think of that would be that you want to think of Part A as your room and board in the hospital. It's going to be the Part A trust fund is going to be what pays for your bed, uh, semi-private room in a hospital, and some things that might be related to that, um, like blood transfusions, a couple of other things in there. And then your Part B is actually outpatient or what you and I would think of as more of the type of insurance benefits that we're used to. It provides that you can go to the doctor uh, and see uh, your primary care doctor or specialist. It's going to pay for things like lab work. And then it also plays for some things that happen in a hospital. So, for instance, if you're in the hospital for a few days, Part A is going to be paying for your bed in that hospital, but you might have a surgery and that would fall under Part B. So there's two main categories for your basic, what we call basic or traditional Medicare benefits, and those are your Part A hospital and Part B outpatient benefits. Now, when you say um, Part B covers, let's say, a surgery, Mm -hmm. and Part A covers your bed and your room and board, so obviously there's food in the hospital, that seems uh, like a lot of coverage, really. What would you need beyond that? to support yourself in a situation of being hospitalized. Okay. So although uh, Medicare's A and B benefits are are providing coverage for certain items, they also have cost sharing from you as the consumer or Medicare beneficiary. So just like your insurance that you had from a prior working career had a deductible, Medicare also has deductibles. So if you were to go into the hospital In 2015, the Part A hospital deductible that you would pay would be $1,260. After that, Medicare is going to pay for, you know, up to 60 days of hospital confinement. You're not going to have any additional uh, daily copay costs for that. You'll just pay the $1,260. But if you've been to the hospital any time in the last five to ten years, you will know that you'll easily hit that deductible just spending one night in the hospital. So people want to have some form of coverage that's going to help them pay for that deductible on the on the Medicare side. And then after 60 days in the hospital, Medicare starts to apply a daily copay to you. And currently that is $304 a day. So if you've had 60 cumulative days in the hospital, starting on the 61st day, you pay $304 a day for that room and board in the hospital. And uh, it goes up from there and then eventually runs out at 150 days. So on the Part A side, there's some cost sharing that we need to address with a supplemental plan. And the same types of supplements will also address cost sharing on the Part B side. And although $1,260 may sound like a lot to someone that goes um, on to a Part A need for hospital insurance in the hospital uh, over age 65, the biggest area where you can have room for exposure is really on the Part B side, and that's because Part B is going to cover about 80% of your outpatient needs. It has a small deductible, $147 in 2015, and you'll pay that on your first outpatient visit of the year. Medicare will pay everything except for the first $147, which you will owe, but after that, 
uh, Medicare typically covers 80% of those remaining benefits, and there's no cap to your spending. So the dangerous side is, let's say you have, um, let's just take the same example of a surgery. If you go in and you have a surgery and that ends up being tens of thousands of dollars that a hospital is going to bill you, you paying 20% of a big bill like that can be devastating financially. If you take a more extreme example, something like cancer, and you're going in for six weeks of radiation, 20% of that kind of bill um, would be staggering. So the supplemental insurance that helps to pay for the deductibles also is going to address that 20% that a person would owe on all their outpatient benefits. And since with original Medicare, there's no cap on the 20% that you pay, the supplemental insurance is going to provide for that so that if you are going along in good health and then all of a sudden you have an unexpected thing happen and it does bring up quite a large hospital bill, you're going to have some coverage for all the cost sharing on both the A and the B side and not be left with a ticket uh, per se that you can't afford. Well, I hear unbelievable stories of medical costs um, that I've read about for people that have become ill. Cancer is one of them. But yeah. what, what about um, if you need a transplant? Let's say you need uh, a kidney. Mm-hmm. What would so happen, it, you know, if you're, let's say you go into the hospital and now you find out you need a kidney and you're in for three weeks. So mm-hmm. you leave the hospital. Now you have to go back again in a month and you're in for three weeks. Are these 60 days within a year or is it accumulative only? So you could be in the hospital, let's say, I don't know, 100 days, but have it be spread out and not 60 days in a row. Okay. The way that Part A hospital benefits work is that you have a rolling benefit period. So when you go into the hospital, the first night that you spend in the hospital will start a new benefit period. If you are in the hospital and then you leave the hospital and you don't go back into the hospital over the next 60 days, you're only going to pay that deductible once. If you go in the hospital in January and then you're released and you go back in the hospital in, say, April or May, and the 60 days has or more has occurred between those two appointments, you would actually pay that $1,260 deductible again. In the example of someone waiting on transplant, the biggest concern, let's say you're waiting for the kidney transplant, you're going to have, obviously, the cost of the transplant. In the meantime, though, if you're having dialysis three times a week, which is tremendously expensive, if you would have to pay 20% of that because Medicare only covers 80%, that is a situation where someone could very quickly find themselves in medical bankruptcy trying to cover 20% of such a high-ticket item like that. Now, in a case of a transplant, and I'm bringing this up um, because of dialysis, they have some private companies from what I understand, that will actually, um, you can go to them outside of the hospital and they have pieces of equipment that you can bring home with you to help you. And I can't remember the name of the company. They're um, on the West Coast, but I, I came across them. In a case like that, would that be something that Medicare, the this, this supplement coverage cover? Well, the with Medicare, the decision about what's covered is always made by Medicare. So Medicare is first going to accept the bill and pay its share. 
Once Medicare has approved the bill and paid Medicare share, then it will send the remainder of the bill on to the supplement company, and the supplement can pay any deductibles that are owed, and it can pay the 20% that we talked about. If Medicare denies the bill for whatever reason, let's say it's not a, the procedure is not one that's approved, or it's not an approved vendor that Medicare has given you the ability to use, the supplement company cannot pay unless Medicare first approves and pays its share. So really the big decision maker in all of the claims in terms of accepted or denied is going to be Medicare itself. So if Medicare doesn't approve it, you're done? That's correct. You have to have it approved by Medicare. So with different types of, um, one of the things you mentioned was equipment. Medicare's website has a really great feature on it where you can search on durable medical equipment providers. And so they have contracts with probably hundreds of these, what we call DME providers. And you would use um, one of those providers to purchase the equipment that you need. If this equipment is something that's not offered by one of Medicare's vendors, then there's no guarantee that it would be covered. It would be something that you could try to submit a claim for yourself, but it would not be something I would recommend. So one of the ways that Medicare controls costs here in America for the huge bill that we have to our national debt that's, um, you know, a part of what's growing due to Medicare is to try to work with companies to provide the best pricing for people on Medicare, and they do that through offering these companies an opportunity to bid to be a durable medical equipment provider that's approved for the Medicare participating network. It does sound very confusing, and it would be a huge challenge for someone to um, figure all of this out and predict their future. None of us, you know, we don't have crystal balls. So you could really fall into some big trouble, go through the majority of your life and not really have an issue. But as soon as you do, you want to make sure you're covered. Yeah. Now, this has got to be very expensive. If you're taking out, you know, all these insurances, it's got to be hard, especially after the age of 65 when you're retired. Mm -hmm. Now, what if a spouse did not work? You have a couple. And mm-hmm. only one spouse worked. Now they're both okay. turned 65, and the working spouse has passed away. Okay. And the um, spouse left has got very little money to live on. Mm-hmm. What happens in a situation like that? As long as the non-working spouse was married for a period of 10 years or more um, to that person, they maintain the ability to claim Medicare benefits under their spouse's working years. So to qualify for Medicare benefits, you basically have to have 40 quarters or 10 years uh, working in your lifetime to be able to get your Medicare Part A benefits. When someone is working, there's a Medicare tax that comes out of their paycheck. Every paycheck they get, there's a small tax. That money goes to fund Medicare And so anyone that's worked 10 years or has a spouse that they were married to for 10 years or more that has done that work, they will be eligible to get their Medicare Part A at no cost to them because it's considered paid up by all the taxes that were paid during the working years. And then they can purchase Medicare Part B, which for most people in the United States runs about $105 a month to get your Part B benefits. And this is, for a lot of Americans, affordable And uh, we don't have a huge population that can't afford that. But for someone that might be below that, 
There are, of course, Medicaid benefits, which you can apply for if you have a a certain poverty level. There's different levels of assistance that you can get based on your income. So maybe you go down to Social Security and you present to them that that you have this number of dollars coming in from Social Security, and then you've got a little bit amount coming in in some sort of pension or maybe some 401k benefits that you saved up, they're going to look at all of the income that you have and decide whether or not maybe you qualify to have Part B paid for by um, the Medicare savings programs that are out there for people under a certain level. So if someone were to find them in themselves in that situation, first of all, they can claim the Medicare benefits based on their spouse's working years. And then second, if the income is below a certain level, there's additional Medicare savings programs, um, which provide what we call Medicaid benefits to people in that situation. So let's say you're now 66 years old and you did not make arrangements for your Medicare. And um, so you end up in the hospital, you had, a, you had an accident, and all of a sudden the bills start rising up. And from what I'm understanding, it would be in the Part B category. And you cannot afford this 20%, or the people speaking for you have uh, presented documents that show that you cannot afford the 20% and you didn't have any supplemental uh, coverage. What happens to these people? If people have Medicare Part A and B, but they never went ahead and arranged any supplemental benefits, they technically are going to receive bills from hospitals and from providers who are going to attempt to collect on them. Eventually, if the bill is unpaid, then they go on uh, credit bureau as being someone that, you know, failed to pay their bills. And this can greatly affect your credit that you have for all sorts of things. Um, and eventually the hospital will do what is called a charge-off where they will actually just say, hey, this person failed to pay the bill, and they sort of write it off against their expenses on their taxes at the end of the year. Uh, in the meantime, though, your credit has been destroyed because you were unable to pay for those bills. So that's why it's so important to find or arrange some type of supplemental insurance, such as a Medigap or Medicare Advantage plan, so that you don't find yourself in that situation. Well, nobody wants to be in that situation for sure. I think that I was getting more at, would treatment cease, would it stop? Could somebody be removed from the hospital who was not well because of the fact they didn't have supplement coverage? I don't know that they can be removed from the hospital. I'm not sure, you know, this of course would be up to the individual administrators at the hospital, and I'm sure that different places have different rules. I don't know that they would necessarily kick you out while you still need care. But I do know that if you are approaching treatment and you have one person over here who has excellent benefits and an insurance company is going to pay for their care as opposed to someone that doesn't have benefits, that's going to affect how much care you can get and where you're going to have it from because you may decide that the best specialist for your particular condition is down at MD Anderson in Houston to treat your leukemia, or perhaps it's at the Ford Center in Michigan for something else. And if you don't have insurance benefits, you're going to have less access. Essentially, they're going to know you're coming in and you don't have the ability to pay. And so not every, not every center can afford to provide free care. And so there is a, um, very important time frame for people to arrange to have benefits and investigate their options. And there are fortunately some insurance options available that don't cost you anything beyond what you already pay for Part B. 
And so that's why we work to try to get the message out that there really is supplemental coverage for everyone. And ensuring that you enroll in that ahead of time is going to save you from being in that situation where you're literally choosing uh, a lesser specialist or, or someone that you don't feel may be the best person to care for you because you don't have insurance. In a case of someone living with diabetes, so let's say, okay. we'll take myself as an example. I, I'm a type 1 diabetic and I've had diabetes since I was a child. And now I'm not, but I, let's say I am one of the individuals approaching 65. I'm going to retire. Is this held against me in some way, shape, or form in the coverage that I choose, supplement coverage, my basic coverage? Would it be that much more for a monthly cost? Or could I just not? That's a really great question. You know, would I be denied? Because these would be one of my fears. Whenever I go for insurance, to be quite honest, and I'm talking about life insurance, if something was to happen to me, there's always your basic questions, heart attack, cancer, AIDS, diabetes. Mm -hmm. And you can actually be denied life insurance because of, um, you know, diabetes. Yes. This has got to be a really scary thing for people approaching 65, looking at Medicare and saying, could I be denied or is it going to be so much money, you know, unattainable for me? That's a, a great fear for a lot of people. Diabetes being one, which is, a, of course, very common. And there's other conditions similar to that, which are chronic conditions. They're not curable. The person that has it is going to have some treatment. And they're very concerned about having a pre-existing waiting period or an exclusion for one of those medical conditions. The good news is that with Medicare, everyone gets to enroll um, at age 65, provided that they've paid in enough for their Part A benefits. They can enroll, and there's no exclusions. There's no pre-existing waiting periods. Your diabetes in that scenario would be covered right from day one. They also give you what's called an open enrollment window for supplemental coverage. So not only can you sign up for the Medicare, but if you sign up for a Medigap plan, which is a supplemental coverage that you can use with Medicare, as long as you apply within six months of your Part B effective date, that coverage is going to be extended to you regardless of health conditions. So, in fact, when you fill the application out, you get to skip the section on health insur- or health conditions altogether, and you're automatically approved because you're applying for that policy in your open enrollment window. So basically, Medicare dictates on a federal level that the supplemental carriers have to insure anyone that enrolls within that window of time, and most people, of course, do that. If the person is choosing um, a different type of coverage, which is called Medicare Advantage, that coverage has a three-month window before and after your Part B effective date that you can enroll without having to answer any health and any health questions. So um, it's very important for people to make sure that they look at those options right as they're aging into Medicare. If you, let's say, miss that, let's just say you had so much mail coming in and you got so confused, you just put it all to the side and you enrolled in Medicare A and B, but you never got your supplemental coverage. Once that six-month window has expired, you can still apply for benefits, but certain health conditions can cause you to be declined. So we have people all the time that will sign up at age 72 and get approved and there's no problem. But if you were someone that had um, a chronic health condition and you had to answer yes to some of the health questions, which are a little bit different among carriers, you may find that they would decline you for the supplemental coverage. This leaves you still with your original Medicare benefits, 
but you sort of lost your opportunity to get Medigap from some of the carriers out there because of the health condition. And that's the reason why Medicare Advantage was created, which is um, a private Medicare plan where you agree to get your Medicare benefits through an individual insurance carrier, and you're going to use their network of doctors and hospitals, which, of course, is going to be smaller than Medicare's network. But the difference on those plans is there's only one health question, and that question asks, do you have end-stage renal failure, meaning are you currently awaiting a transplant or undergoing kidney dialysis? As long as you're not in that situation, uh, you would be eligible to enroll in that plan during any annual election period, which takes place in the fall from October 15th to December 7th. So we absolutely have run across people who have run with just Medicare for a couple of years, and then they decide, hey, you know, I I really should get some sort of insurance benefits. I'm going to sign up for Medicare Advantage at the end of the year or during my election period, and that is a way that they can get covered, even if they did have, say, chronic insulin-dependent diabetes with related health conditions, that person would still be able to be eligible for that type of coverage. So, you know, people are working longer and longer. Mm -hmm. If you worked up to the age of 72 and you had coverage, I don't know, you know, how this would work because I'm not in insurance. But is there places of employment where you could work up to the age of 72 and still go under your employer's benefits? Yes, and that happens quite often. We see a lot of the baby boomers these days work well past age 65. And so if you're working and you have your group insurance benefits, You have the choice of having your group insurance benefits coordinate with Medicare so you can enroll in Medicare A and B and not help pay secondary to your group insurance in many cases. You could have those two coordinate together. Um, Some people uh, delay enrollment into Medicare altogether and they just roll with their group insurance benefits. And then when they actually leave that group insurance plan, there's also another guaranteed issue window where for a period of 63 days after they leave that group insurance, they can enroll in any Medigap plan without uh, fear of health questions because they're leaving what's called credible coverage. That was my big question was, is that that courtesy still apply for their supplementary um, sure coverage? Does. So they, yeah. if they want, if they didn't feel that they, you know, wanted to put that extra um, bit of money out for the Medicare or let's say the supplement coverage, they could go on their existing coverage with their employer and then apply. Yes. Yeah, I do always recommend, we tell people if you're in that situation and you're deciding you're going to be still working and you're deciding whether or not you're going to leave the group plan to go on Medicare or you're going to have Medicare coordinate with it. Uh, It's very important. You should always talk to your benefits administrator where you work. They can explain to you uh, what benefits you have through the group plan and how it could or could not coordinate with Medicare, whether or not there's any enrollment periods they need to be aware of. Um, There is some differences in how the benefits will coordinate depending on how large the employer is that you work for. So it's very important that when people transition into Medicare, they contact that group uh, administrator and have that person explain to them how the benefits will work with Medicare, or they can speak with a, a Medicare broker, um, someone like myself. There's thousands of agents out there in every state to help them where they could have those rules explained to them and just make sure that they, they sign up for how they want those benefits to coordinate to get the best coverage at the best, you know, however it's going to be most afford- affordable for them. 
um, we would recommend that they get some advice on that just so that they don't uh, have any surprises down the line about, hey, I should have signed up for this or that, and I, I, and I didn't. And that's the big mystery to me. Why? What is the election um, period? Why is it always the same? Is it always October to December? The annual election period is from October 15th to December 7th, and that applies to anyone um, on Medicare that allows them to enroll into either Part D or a Medicare Advantage plan or leave one of those plans. Um, so it's the election period was created because of Medicare Part D being created uh, back in 2006. And so people have the ability to join or leave Medicare Advantage and Part D drug plans in the fall. That's different from what would be called a guaranteed issue period during which someone would be leaving group insurance and have a 63-day window that starts when the group insurance ends. Uh, two different things there. So they are different. Yes. If you were to leave your group um, insurance and then go on a, the, the gap insurance, the supplement insurance, and in between, there was some kind of, you know, problem with getting medication. In other words, there's a little bit of gap um, and you had to come out of pocket. What what would one do? Or let's say you don't have the money to pay out of pocket during that time. What could a person do in that situation? If they have left their group insurance and they failed to sign up for Medicare Part D for their prescriptions, they would have to wait until the next annual or annual election period, which, of course, we mentioned is in the fall. They could sign up for a Part D plan. In the meantime, they basically don't have insurance for drugs. So they can pay full price at the pharmacy. Uh, some pharmacies offer prescription discount programs that you can sign up for to be able to give a little bit of relief there. Uh, we have lots of clients tell us that they uh, purchase their medications online from Canada or India during those times that you're essentially self-insured, so you don't have coverage for those medications until you can get enrolled into a Part D drug plan. So you're really left on your own. Yeah, which is why they, you know, put out so much information every fall to remind people that this is the time when you can get your drug plan. Don't miss it. You know, the window ends on December 7th. So now, let's say you're working, you're over 65, and you get Medicare. And you think to yourself, okay, I have really good coverage where I'm working, so I might not go for the gap uh, plans where they, you know, supplement plans. But now you're on Medicare and you're on your own um, benefit at work still. Are you paying for this Medicare? Is this something that it's just wise for people to do, period? You might want to work, let's say, another seven years. But is it advisable to say, once you turn 65, no matter what, just apply for your Medicare? It really depends on the group benefits. If you have a person in that situation, in most cases, they're paid up for their Part A benefits, meaning they or a spouse have paid in via those payroll taxes. So it really doesn't hurt them. In most cases, it's not inadvisable to deny the Part A. You would go ahead and sign up for Part A because it doesn't cost you anything. You've already paid for it, and it could help reduce the deductible when you go in the hospital if your if your work plan has a higher deductible than 1260. Medicare can step in to pay the difference on Part A. On Part B, it's a little more relative to your situation. If you have, um, let's say you have group insurance and it's a $500 annual deductible, well, you may not want to add Part B and spend $105 a month for that to pay 80% of 
a small copay or a small deductible like 500, you would probably pay more than was necessary than what those Part B benefits would provide you. But on the flip side of that, if you have a work plan with a $5,000 deductible, you might very well think it's in your best interest to spend $105 for Medicare Part B and let Medicare pick up 80% of that deductible if something happens to you. Instead of you coming out of pocket $5,000, you are going to have Medicare kicking in to pay a great piece of that. And uh, it depends a lot on the person's individual financial situation. Uh, it also can depend on their health. If there's somebody in really good health, they may say, I haven't met my deductible in years. I'm willing to risk it for a year. Worst case scenario, I'm going to be out of pocket $5,000. On the other side of that, you might have somebody that gets a once a month injection for multiple sclerosis and the the shot itself is $1,000. Well, you're absolutely going to hit your $5,000 deductible. So why wouldn't you want Part B to pay 80% of that? Um, so working with a broker, it would be great for you to determine, is now the time that I sign up for Medicare? to coordinate with my group insurance or not. Um, and a good agent will help you determine that because they know that down the line when you're ready to leave group insurance, you'll come back to them to buy your supplemental insurance. And, of course, there's a lot of reading material online as well. Um, so you want to do your homework when you're getting ready to leave your group plan. You want to think carefully about how much am I paying for the group insurance, uh, what are my deductibles, what is my risk exposure here, and would it make sense to have Part B pay 80% of those potential expenses? Is it worth the 1200 bucks I'm going to come out of pocket for the cost of Part B to know that I have that 80% coverage, you know, of things that occur before my health insurance kicks in at whatever deductible level that you're at? That's, there's, this is, I can see where it's so confusing for people. It sure is. Uh, I, I'm really overwhelmed just hearing about all this. Making sure that you've covered all your bases just in case. So somebody yeah. living with diabetes, I can't imagine wanting to um, drop a supplement coverage. But for those who do, they say, you know what, I'm really not using that much. And I think I'm going to take this gap supplement coverage out of the equation. If they want to add it back in in a year or two, are they doing this with some kind of penalty or consequence? There's not a penalty for dropping a supplement and getting it again later, but they have to be able to pass the underwriting um, to get it. And so what ends up happening is the person says, well, I don't want to pay for this right now. It's not likely that they're just going to add it back in a year for no reason. What happens more often is a health condition occurs. Now they want to go ahead and add it in, and now they can't pass the underwriting questions to get approved. So it's kind of like... Uh, in, in insurance terminology, they call it adverse selection, meaning you want to buy the homeowner's insurance after the house is already on fire. So if you do drop the Medigap insurance, you have to know that later on when you go to add it back in, you've got to be able to pass those health underwriting questions for the carrier that you're applying with to see if you can get approved. So you're best if you get maximum coverage to keep it. Yes, if you apply during your open enrollment window and you sign up for uh, a full coverage plan like Medigap plan or a Medicare Advantage plan, determining which one you choose, it's good to keep coverage going. If if you can afford, let's say here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, a female turning 65, she might pay anywhere from $130 to $150 a month for Medigap coverage. If that's affordable and you can keep it in your budget, it's well worth it because it's not only going to cover you for the small things that go along, you know, your doctor's visits, minor things like that, but if something happens, you've got great coverage and you can sleep well at night knowing that tomorrow if you need a $150,000 knee replacement, 
you're going to be able to afford it. It's going to be covered. Uh, those type of things are, are very good for helping you sleep at night. If you have that kind of coverage, you should keep it. Now, if you have very limited funds, and this is quite common. We have, I think, the last statistics that I saw on the Kaiser Family Foundation website was somewhere in the neighborhood of 40% of American uh, people over age 65 living on Social Security benefits, which is not how they were intended. They were intended to be supplemental benefits, but the reality is people have life occur, you know, and they put three or four kids through college and didn't have time to save for their own retirement, and now they're retiring and they are pretty much living on Social Security. It might be a case where they can't afford $150 a month for a supplement, especially when they're already paying $105 a month for Part B. And so those individuals would look at perhaps a Medicare Advantage plan where they agree to use a network and then they can get a plan that may cost them nothing or, say, $40 a month as opposed to $150 a month. You have a little bit more restrictions with a plan like that. You're using an HMO or a PPO network in a lot of cases, but the coverage is very full um, so that if something major happens, you are going to be able to get uh, expensive things paid for. And that's if you're finding you're falling short. Yes. We do have a number of people every year that will call in and say, um, I am just bribing Peter to pay Paul and I cannot afford, you know, this supplement anymore. And so uh, what we'll do is to explain to them how Medicare Advantage plans work um, and help them find uh, a plan that maybe their important doctors participate in. And those plans, a lot of times, have a much lower out-of-pocket. Uh, and like I said, in some cases, there would be a zero premium where they don't charge you anything beyond Part B, which you're already paying. And then you agree to use that doctor's, uh, that plan's network of doctors. And you'll have co-pays for things as you go along. You might pay $10 to see your primary care doctor or $40 copay to see your specialist. So you're going to have some cost sharing, um, but it's going to be more affordable for you than a Medigap plan. Well, that situation is still so much better than, say, being on Medicare Part A and B only and then suddenly needing dialysis, you know, and you're racking up tens of thousands of dollars in expenses. Uh, with a Medicare Advantage plan, the maximum that you can come out of pocket for medical expenses, Part D being separate, but for medical expenses in one year is 6700 So if you had a plan that had a $6,700 out-of-pocket maximum cap, and you run up $40,000 worth of treatment, you're only responsible for the first 6700 And that's happening as you go along. You're paying co-pays for things. Um, and if that total spending of yours adds up to more than 6700 in one year, then um, the insurance company then has to kick in after that and pay the rest of those bills for you um, until the new year resets in January. So how do you prepare for this? This is a, this is a huge cost. You're, from what I'm hearing, your average couple could really be paying upwards of $500 a month between the two of them. Mm-hmm. I always say I wish that there were almost a mandatory class for everybody when you turn 50. This is what Medicare costs. This is what it covers. In 15 years, you're going to have to be able to pay for this. What are you doing to prepare for that? Because people just are unaware. Lots of people age into Medicare, and they think that it's all covered. They know that they've been paying taxes throughout their life, and they're surprised to find out all of a sudden that they've got to pay a Part B, uh, and they've got to pay a Part D uh, premium for their drugs, and they need to add a supplement or some other coverage. So we really encourage people to discuss health care expenses with your financial planner you want to talk about this early enough that you you know what your options are going to be and you can budget for that. 
if you look at it in the grand scheme of things, we insure lots of things. We insure our house. We insure our cars. We also need to insure our bodies. And so this is an important piece of your budget needs to be spent toward making sure that you can afford your coverage. So anybody that's planning or has Medicare coming up on the horizon would do, um, would do well to sit down and look at, say, let's add up what it would cost me to have for Part B and Part D and a supplement in my area. How much money am I going to need per month? Because sometimes this can affect when you're going to retire. You may be putting together a budget and you're planning on retiring at 66. Then you realize, oh, hey, I don't think I've saved enough for this. I need to keep working for a few more years so I can maintain my employer coverage and maybe retire when I'm 68 or 69 and I've had a little bit of time to put away more money toward that. So it's a discussion that people need to be having with themselves and their their loved ones or spouses and financial planners, you know, in, in the period of, say, five to ten years before you become eligible for Medicare. And that's an advisable period of time, five to ten years? I think so um, because in reality, everybody knows that when you retire, there's going to be expenses. You still have to pay for your groceries. You still have to pay for your rent. You still have to pay for lots of things. But that alone doesn't seem to encourage everybody to reti- to put away enough money. If you make um, the, it clear that there's also additional spending for health care, sometimes health care being a pretty serious subject can make someone get serious about planning. Um, and, and certainly for someone um, that has a chronic condition like diabetes, they're going to hopefully be a little more aware going in that this is coverage they're going to need, so we need to plan for it. Um, it would be great if people would sit down and, you know, look at that ahead of time. It's just unfortunate that that so many people really come into the age 65 sort of unaware and surprised at what the expenses are going to be. So doing the research early, years before you need it, is really a good way for you to begin budgeting for those costs. There, um, There's some great drugs out there. There's some great pieces of equipment to really help people living with diabetes. I'm just going to, you know, throw one out there, and that's the Omnipod. This is where people that are on insulin do not have to take injections multiple times a day or even once a day. They put this pot on them, and it lasts up anywhere from three to five days, and they fill it with insulin. So this would be a cost that someone would have on a monthly basis, and if they took this supplement or the gap insurance, these things, would they be covered these pieces of equipment? Yeah. So the Omnipod like that and any other type of um, testing durable, equipment. Call durable medical equipment, yep, those are going to be covered under Medicare Part B and they'll be covered at 80%. If you have a supplement, it's going to cover the other 20%. So you would actually be in really good shape for something like that. And um, in addition, your lancets, test strips, glucose monitors for people that do their own insulin, those are also all covered by your Medicare and Medigap plan together. And then the only thing that you're purchasing through your Part D in that scenario would be your syringes and insulin. So that's that's very, very helpful. And the numbers are staggering um, of people that are developing diabetes. And I've said this before and I'll say it again since we're talking about insurances. 27.1 million people are actually diagnosed in the U.S. with diabetes. An yeah. additional, on top of that number, is 85 million people with prediabetes. A huge number of those people will become diabetics, and the, the numbers are just climbing all the time. So it's yeah. really important 
so vastly important for people to be prepared for this. Yes, I totally agree. Um, especially with the diabetes, I think it's great that you're addressing this topic because diabetes is one of the health questions that can cause a decline on the Medigap coverage. So uh, it will ask a question, you know, do you have diabetes and, and so some of the carriers will ask, do you take insulin more than 50 milliliters a day? Some of them will ask, do you have diabetes with another condition like neuropathy? Uh, so diabetes can actually be something that can cause you, if you miss that open enrollment window, it can cause you to maybe not be able to get covered later on depending on what other health conditions you have that are related to your diabetes. So for those people especially, it's really important that you use the open enrollment window when you first get Medicare or your guaranteed issue window when you're leaving um, a group plan to, to make sure that you don't have to answer those questions, that you can be guaranteed that coverage you're going to get through the windows that are provided. Well, there, you know, even to have it period if you're not a diabetic because you could develop diabetes at any time. So if you didn't have your GAP coverage and you're, you've got Medicare and you've been on it since you were 65 and you're 70 years old and you've been diagnosed as a type 2 diabetic and have to take insulin, what would happen then in trying to get a GAP plan? And you may or may not be able to pass the underwriting questions. So the person's been diagnosed with diabetes. Uh, most of the insurance companies, they're going to have a set list of questions they ask in relation to diabetes. So there's a few out there that the wording are a little easier than other carriers. But I know that when we have had people with um in fact, just earlier today, we had a, a carrier that turned down um, someone that had diabetes and neuropathy. So diabetes by itself would not have been an issue, but because they had both of those conditions, he did not qualify for the plan. And so then we have to go back to that person and say, look, we can't get you this insurance. We might try another carrier. If their question is worded slightly different, we may be able to get coverage. But a lot of times we find that uh, the person is unable to get covered. We can't find a carrier that will take them. And then, of course, we're on to explaining to them about, hey, the annual election period is coming, and we can at least get you into a Medicare Advantage plan when that time rolls around. Um, and they've kind of lost out on getting Medigap coverage because it's very unlikely that they're going to have the diabetes change or go away, right? We know that that's not how it works. Right. So, um, again, you know, you're buying the insurance not just for what happens um, today, but what you might need it for tomorrow. So anybody should be insuring themselves as soon as they're going on to Medicare by itself and they're leaving behind any other coverage. It's very important that they uh, review all their options and, and hopefully enroll in some coverage before that health condition develops. And that's what I was just thinking. Why wait? If you're turning 65 and you're going on Medicare, get some, if you can get gap insurance or your yeah. supplement insurance, because why would you want to wait? It's, you know, if you don't have to answer any medical questions and you can be covered, plan for it. And as you yeah. said, a good time to plan for it is about five to 10 years prior to having to go on Medicare. Yeah, that way it's not surprising you. you you're you coming into age 65 and you already know that between your Part B and the Medigap plan that you want, you're going to need to budget for, you know, 250 to $300 a month um, for those two plans on a Part D plan, uh, maybe a little bit less if you're willing to look at some of the Medicare Advantage plans. But knowing ahead of time what you're going to need is so much better when you still have the op option of saying, hey, I probably need to work another couple of years. 
already getting retirement plans going and you've had your retirement party and now you're leaving the insurance and all of a sudden you find out, hey, um, I I didn't plan for this insurance after Medicare to cost me so much. Um, that's harder harder to take. So the earlier that you do the research, the better. Um, I have had people call in here that have been asking these questions as early as age 60, and we're always glad to answer them because it's great that people are looking at this and they're already planning ahead. And so even though it'll be a few years down the road before they need the coverage, um, they're making these decisions while they still have the income from their working years and have a little bit more flexibility on when they're going to leave. So um, it is a very good idea to look at it early like that. And get as much coverage as you can without uh, having all the medical questions associated with this. Yeah, you bet. That's right. Getting it um, while you don't have to answer those questions and and you know that your application is guaranteed to be approved. Now, what about the the cost of this coverage? Can it go up on a yearly basis? Yes. Um, With Medigap plans, it will go up on an annual basis. A good rule of thumb is if if the rate goes up, uh, 10% or less, that's pretty standard in the industry. You're going to have a little bit of an increase. Um, you might want to stay with your carrier. If the carrier smacks you with a big rate increase, let's say it's 15 to 20%, if you are able to pass health questions, you can have a broker shop that for you and see maybe another insurance company offering the same Medigap plan might be a little cheaper for you as long as you can pass those underwriting questions to change. Um, so that would be something you would maybe want to look at if you get a big rate increase. But if you have a carrier and a, after a year you get an increase of 3% or 6%, um, that's doing pretty good as far as keeping up with inflation without breaking the bank. Um, but, yes, you would want to plan for a little bit of increase from year to year on your Medigap plans. And do they frequently go up with the use? So let's say... No. Okay. So it, it's... Basically, they have percentages that they will go up, but it wouldn't necessarily be because you're a heart patient and a diabetic and you have more expenses that you, you know, may use in your gap plan. Yes, that's right. So they, they absolutely cannot increase your costs um, individually. So if a rate increase happens, it's affecting a certain block of business. So that, that might be everybody that's on certain plan F in the state of Texas is getting an X percent increase. Uh, they can't look at you and say, oh, this person got diabetes and now we're going to be spending more on them, so we're going to jack their rate up, you know, 20%. They can't do that. Which is peace of mind for people that need it. Sure. Yeah, you bet. You bet. And, it, and we hear a lot of times from the other group, the people that are in good health, well, I didn't even have any, I didn't even use this coverage and my rate went up, you know, 6%. Well, that's true, but there were other people that also had the plan and so the insurance company experiences certain number of losses and this causes a rate increase so they can be sure to cover everyone again the next year. Um, so it's very standard. It's rare to see from year to year where the plan won't go up. Um, there's different Medigap plans available and some specific plans have better what we call rate trend than others, meaning they tend to take lower rate increases than um, some of the other plans. And so uh, doing your research ahead of time to look at those things will hopefully lead you to pick a pretty good, strong, stable carrier. And if you're in good health, you can change it. Every time a rate increase comes up, you can look to shop it just like you do with your auto insurance. Uh, once you have a health condition, though, that prevents you from changing, uh, you want to be with a carrier that not only had a good rate when you signed up, but that hopefully you've looked at their rate increase history and chosen a carrier that isn't known for wild price swings. And that is an important thing to remember. It is a rate increase history. 
That's very interesting because I don't think um, I would have thought of that myself to ask that yeah. question. A lot of people don't know to ask it. Um, they are. It's so typical for people to just pick the big brand name carrier, you know, and they enroll in that. They don't do any research at all. Well, sometimes you're paying, you know, extra premium because of that carrier's big brand name when you could have gotten exactly the same plan with the same coverage, same network, um, same access to all the Medicare providers with another carrier that also has a strong financial rating, is going to pay all of its bills on time, but isn't charging you for that big brand name. So um, we want to look at, you know, what carrier has the best rate, but we also want to look, have your agent provide you um, a three-year look back on what have their rate increases been to their people in the last three years so that um, you're making an educated decision, not just based on the company's price, but we're also looking at um, their financial stability based on their financial ratings and their rate increase history, which um, any good broker should be able to provide you that information. So getting a broker is so important for so many reasons. It just makes it easier um, than you trying to call 20 different companies and saying, well, what is your rate for this plan? What's your rate for this plan? What's your rate increase history? Uh, that's a lot of legwork, and you can get a broker to provide you all of that information in one report so that you can um, ask questions to one person and make your decision that way, um, and you pay exactly the same uh, premium uh, when you use a broker as if you provided um, as if you bought the insurance yourself direct from the insurance company. Um, the difference is that the broker will do a lot of the legwork for you, of course, but also after the policy is enforced, if a doctor bills something wrong or you need to appeal something that Medicare denied, if you apply directly with the insurance company, you're on your own for that. You're going to write your own appeal. Um, you don't know the laws about how things are paid, and you're going to be dealing with this yourself. Whereas if you have an agent on your policy, um, that agent a lot of times can provide you excellent information that you can use uh, or direction on how to do those things and um, make sure that you're not standing there alone trying to figure out how to resolve that problem. So that you have support in this way? Yes. And it also, from what I'm hearing, is an agent would really help guide you on what they think would be your best option in coverage. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's looking true. Looking to the future. Um, yeah, looking at both. You know, a lot of times people are trying to make the decision, first of all, okay, do, am I even going to go on Medicare? Because I've got this insurance over here with my job. What am I going to pay for my group insurance at my job combined with whatever pieces of Medicare I think I need versus what would I pay if I went on Medicare as primary and then got a supplement? Comparing those two numbers. So, first of all, you're deciding between whether or not you're going to go on Medicare. And then once you decide that if you're going to make the switch to Medicare, leave your group insurance behind, then the broker can also help you with, you know, which carrier am I choosing and what kind of insurance. You know, you may want to hear about not just how Medigap plans, but also how Medigap, Medicare Advantage plans and Part D plans work. And a broker can provide you all that information um, in evaluating based on your needs, based on what you say is important to you. You may have... Um, I give my own parents as an example a lot of times. You'll have somebody like my mom. If she goes in the hospital, she's going to be worried from the first second how much that bill is going to be. She's thinking about what's going to be in the mailbox when she gets home, not on concentrating on getting well. She's a great candidate for Medigap because I know that you know her coverage is going to be almost 100% first dollar coverage, and she can see you know any of 800,000 Medicare participating doctors in the United States. 
On the other hand, my dad, you know, he hasn't been to the doctor since 1974. He's never sick. You know, he doesn't want to spend $150 a month on a supplement because he doesn't intend to ever use it. He's a great candidate for Medicare Advantage where he might say, sure, you know, I'll use this doctor that's in a network over here, and then I'm paying a lot lower premium for my Advantage plan, and I don't mind using a network because, you know, I'm a really healthy guy and I don't need insurance. <laughs> um, a lot of a lot of men mm-hmm. feel that way, and so, but then at least still buying coverage. And so those are two people who would be having a discussion with a broker about what their needs are, what their risk tolerance is, how do they get their peace of mind, what they can afford to spend, um, and a broker can guide you through those decisions and help you find the type of insurance and the company that's going to best suit what you're telling uh, us that is important to you. Now I'm going to ask a question. When you said your mother would be worrying all the time, mm-hmm. I don't think people realize how much things cost. And your mother yeah. obviously would worry about that, where your father really doesn't even go there and think he'll be sick. But something like dialysis keeps coming up in our conversation there obviously are, is a very expensive treatment. What would be the average cost of dialysis per treatment? Um, I'm not sure if I could specify how much the per treatment would be because we don't typically see those invoices on the back end. But I know from having had um, some diabetes, I'm sorry, some dialysis centers in the past that have referred us people um, make trying to make sure that they got enrolled during that open enrollment window that ongoing dialysis uh, can easily be in the six figures numbers every year. So if you're going in and having dialysis two to three times a week, um, it is the most expensive treatment that you would have for anything, which is interestingly enough why when you enroll in Medicare Advantage, there's only that one health question, which is do you have end-stage renal disease? And that's because Medicare knows that that is so financially expensive that they need for the insurance companies to be able to decline that if the person wasn't insured already. Um, so you're talking about something that is many, many thousands of dollars. So if you were in that position prior to the age of 65 and you went on Medicare and then you were looking for your GAP or supplement coverage, you would be wise to go with that full coverage during your window of opportunity with no health questions. You sure would. Absolutely. That would be when you need to get the insurance and you're also not going to be able to leave that carrier. So it's really important for you to enroll in a company that you've done all the research on and that we can get you with one with a very good rate trend um, so that you have, you know, hopefully we don't know, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what the rates are going to look like down the road. But if we see from the history that a company has been really good about managing their book, um, that would be a strong carrier for you to choose if you know that you're not going to be able to change later. And this wouldn't change um, if you moved to a different location in the U.S. You wouldn't have to change your provider, would you? Not with your Medigap plans. Those have a national uh, list of Medicare participating doctors, and you use Medicare's quote-unquote network. Um, so the supplement, it doesn't matter which insurance company you buy it from. Uh, you're going to use Medicare's group of doctors. And do they help? At, do any of these supplement insurance help if you're traveling? Um, it does to a certain extent. So some plans provide what's called the foreign travel. So if you're in the United States and you're going from one state to another, you're covered anyway. It's all good. But if you're going out of um, the country, uh, for instance, like a Medigap plan F will provide you a benefit of up to $50,000 to help you with the costs that may occur related to an emergency overseas to get you back to the U.S. 
uh, because obviously Medicare is a U.S. program and they're not going to have it available for you in France. Um, so there is some benefit there. If you're doing a lot of travel and you're going to be over there for weeks and weeks at a time, um, you may be concerned that that's not enough coverage and certainly you could see your travel agent for um, there's international policies that you can buy that provide additional medical. Say you're going on a three-month trip and you're going to be over there for quite a while, that would be additional coverage that you could look at. So we do have to be mindful, though, though um, and when picking these up, the, up these insurances that are not good for everything, primarily within yeah. the U.S. with a small, maybe a small bit of coverage outside of the U.S. Yes. If you're traveling. Right. So mm-hmm. we should always yeah. ask those questions. You should, and you're going to want to make sure that if you're doing a lot of travel, of course, you're going to you're going to want to make sure that you buy whatever you need to to feel confident that you're going to be covered. And this, could you go through a broker, or is it is, is this something only through the travel agent if you're traveling? Um, a lot of times we refer people to travel agents because I know that they have probably more to offer, but there are a couple of um, carriers through that regular brokers work with that offer international medical plans. And so uh, you could certainly call your health insurance broker and ask them, do they represent any? And then if not, the next place that I would try would be your your travel agent to see if they could help you. That's great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I've learned so much about this. Mm-hmm. What I'm really taking away is... Don't let any grass grow under your feet. You're turning 65, get your coverage. Yeah. As soon as you leave your um, your plan with work, get your gap coverage as soon as possible and avoid those medical questions. And prepare. Absolutely. Prepare financially yeah. Do your for homework. This. Yeah. You betcha. You know, for... So we appreciate you looking into it and helping spread the word because it is so important for people to know about. Well, a five hundred dollar uh, cost per month for a couple, and that's what I'm averaging it out at, with you know small increases, cost of living and whatnot. I, I, it's a bill, but it's a very important bill, and that would give you such good coverage, from what I'm understanding. Two hundred and fifty dollars a piece per month, avoiding any health questions, and so you, that you have the maximum coverage and being able to keep that going. Yes, absolutely. Knowing that they can't cancel the policy for any other reason than you failing to pay your premiums. Uh, such a good time to get the insurance and have that peace of mind starting right as you head into retirement. Great advice. Thank you so much for joining me. You are welcome. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. There are so many things to take in consideration when planning for your future after retirement when it comes to our medical coverage. And rather than being anxious about it or worrying, planning in advance is is really vital. Five to ten years beforehand, looking at the costs you may be looking at and ensuring that you have proper coverage is so important. So really, talking to a broker in advance five to 10 years, along with your financial planner, is really a powerful thing, making sure that we're properly covered. If you'd like more information on this, uh, you can go to boomerbenefits.com, and that's www.boomerbenefits.com, and that is Danielle's site. And if you have any questions, please email me, anita at anitacoach.ca, and follow me on Twitter at Anita Westlake.